Qumran was a violent man who used to sell drugs, used to sell weapons, and one day a friend gave him a New Testament. Qumran took that New Testament and after reading it five consecutive days, Qumran gave his life to Jesus. When his family and friends saw the radical transformation from one who was into weapons and drugs now to one who was following Jesus, they also came to faith. And there is a church now at Qumran's home in which people gather to worship Jesus. Reza was a mullah. Mullah is a Muslim scholar. And Reza hoped to become an ayatollah, which is actually a Shiite leader. Some of those terms you've heard in the news One day, while Reza was studying in an Islamic seminary, he found a New Testament that had been boldly placed there in the library. Out of curiosity, really, he picked it up, began to read it, and was deeply shaken. Over time, he fell in love with Jesus, and today, Reza is a trained church planter. Now, let me ask you, where do you think Kamran and Reza live? Their names are not Billy and Johnny, so they really know, you know, they don't live here in the United States. Where, where do you think they live? Middle East, okay. Any uh, nation in particular in the Middle East? Iran. Who said Iran? You got it, man. That is exactly right. Kamran and Reza are both from the nation of Iran. Uh, from Iran, and actually here is a uh, picture that actually produced by the Washington Post, that bastion of political conservatism. Uh, th- th- that was a joke. Uh, all right, um, so, so here is a picture of a baptism service, guess where? Yeah, in Iran. Now, uh, unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you know that Iran's been in the news a little bit, right? We have this little tension going on. And so you hear all of these things about Iran. I wanted maybe to share something about Iran with you today that uh, not CNN or Fox News is actually reporting. You ready? Uh, this picture is evidence of it. Here's the reality. Uh, Iran has now been labeled as the fastest growing church in the world. Listen, and in, in, um, make sure I get my dates right. In 1979, uh, there were an estimated 500 Christians in Iran, the whole country. The latest uh, guess is 600,000 Christians in Iran. Some estimate that there's up to a million Christians in Iran in house churches. A uh, little, little hint, it's illegal to worship God in Iran, Right? Uh, And yet the church is thriving. It is the fastest growing church in the world. There's an Iranian woman uh, who is a Christian who knows the the depth of the risk of being a Christian. She says this, and I've kind of uh, made this a bit family friendly. Uh, we, We know that if they get us, meaning the government get us as Christians, they will abuse us and ultimately kill us. But this is the decision we have made. We want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. Open Door, which is a, uh, an organization that deals specifically, but uh, generally in, in uh, countries in which persecution is very real, uh, happening in their worlds, they have ranked Iran as the ninth worst country in the world when it comes to the persecution of, Christ- of Christians. Yet, insiders tell us that the mosques are emptying out 
and that these home churches are thriving. That's happening in Iran. There's an awesome documentary, in case you uh, want to watch something more about this, um, that you can get actually on YouTube. Uh, if you don't know what YouTube is, find a junior hire after the service. They'll help you. Right? On YouTube, it's called Sheep Among Wolves. There's actually two that's been done. I would encourage you to watch the second Sheep Among Wolves 2. Um, and it is a documentary about the movement of Christ in Iran. It's fascinating, encouraging, and enlightening. Why do I bring up the church in Iran? Well, first of all, it's a miracle, and I love to tell you about miracles. Uh, first of all, second of all, it's, it's relatively relevant uh, in our society as we hear a lot about it. But predominantly, I want to share with you, because as I think about the church in Iran, I, I, I think about this church in Colossae that we've started to talk about. Uh, Colossae was a small church in now modern-day Turkey. And I just have this sense that there, there are two commonalities of the church in Iran, not only geographically, but two commonalities in the church in Iran and the church Colossae. One is that they were facing rampant persecution, but in the face of uh, rampant persecution, there was incredible growth. I think that's happening in Iran today, and I think that was happening in Colossae in the day in which Paul wrote to them a letter that we've been studying starting last week called Colossians. And so it gives me a bit of a context for the letter that is written to them and that we are studying together this morning. So turn there, if you will, to the book of Colossians. If you need some help getting there, it's New Testament. Go past the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go past Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. There's this little book called Galatians. And then you run into the EPC. I've told you this, right? This is why we joined this denomination, so that we would know the books of the Bible. After Galatians is Ephesians, Philippians, and... Colossians, EPC, there you go, right? So to the book of Colossians, as you turn there, let me ask you a couple questions. You should be pros at this. We practiced quite a bit, right, last week. So who wrote the book of Colossians? That that wasn't bad, right? I I, I encouraged you last week in the reality that we we, we say Paul did, right? That's exciting. A messenger of Jesus Christ who, who, who by the Holy Spirit has been given the will of God to write to them. Paul did, right? All right, so whom was it written to? Church in Colossae. See, you guys are brilliant. Bible scholars. This is how we're making progress. Yes, but understand, too, who Paul said that they were, right? That they were holy, that they were faithful, and that they were family. Not because they were good, but because of God's grace. And, and why did he write it? I'll be impressed if you remember this one. To make much of? To make much of Jesus. Thank you. So I'll give you a break. Next week you should know that one though, right? So why did he write it? Because there's syncretism. Big word, right? Uh, We we learned that word last week. Syncretism in the church and that there's all kinds of different faiths and religions melding in this church. And all of a sudden, the real gospel is being compromised because of these outside forces. And so Paul writes to them to say, listen, let's get back to basics, right? Let's make much of Jesus written by Paul to the church in Colossae to make much of Jesus. As we read this morning, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3-14, through 14, we might be thinking a little bit about the Iranian church as we read it, but maybe also, I think today, focus on ourselves as we read these words as well. May this be a letter written certainly to the Colossae church, 
maybe even applicable for the Iranian church this morning, but I think applicable for our lives as well. So let's hear the word of God, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Paul writes, and he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ah, may God help us in understanding the core of his word today and touch our hearts indeed with it. Three thoughts this morning as we really rush through this text, right? This text, uh, we could have a sermon series itself uh, for about six months just in this text. But we're going to uh, go like crazy through this and and maybe from about 10,000 feet see what it is that, that Paul is doing. So three thoughts this morning as we work our way through this text. The first is this. Paul thanks God for the gospel in the church. Paul thanks God for the gospel in the church. Paul begins with thanksgiving, right? We always thank and, and whom does he thank? Tell me. Yeah. Listen to that. A, 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 the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, because remember, he's making much of Jesus. And, and, and here it is. He's, he's, he's putting God and Christ his Son at the forefront of the thanksgiving. He, he's not writing to the Colossian church going, hey man, I, I hear about all the cool things you're doing. I'm so glad that you gave your life to Jesus. I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're loving your neighbors well. Uh, you guys are so awesome that you, you have this hope of heaven. You know, big cheerlead for, give me a big old C-O-L-O-S-S-A-E, right? Uh, it, it, that is not what Paul was doing. Hear that? Because sometimes I think we read these and go, yeah, Paul's, Paul's really putting it on that church of Colossians. No, listen, what's he doing? We thank whom? God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for these things in you. Why does he thank God? I'll tell you, because God is the one who is responsible for their belief. God is the one who is responsible for their love. And God is the one who is responsible for their hope. Hear this this morning. It's important that you get this. The good news of the gospel is not that we are awesome. The good news of the gospel is the truth that we are sinners made awesome by a gracious God. It's a maybe good aside application this morning. Because I know in this room there are many people that you are grateful for. 
this is just a suggestion. Might we start approaching one another and saying, man, I'm grateful to God for you. Because whatever good is in me has been given to me by God. And that's the truth of what Paul is saying. So, so think about the pew sitter in the Colossae church or the house church dweller in Iran or, or just being you. The faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And, and I know many of you, maybe all of you this morning, have this faith, this belief that Christ has come for you, that He's died for you, that He's risen for you, that He's ascended for you, that He intercedes for you. And that's beautiful. But that faith that you have in Jesus Christ is not because you've come to some incredible intellectual point in which you said, man, I believe in God. No, really, the, the reality of what this is is that God has put that in you. That faith is a gift of God that has caused you to surrender to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of Jesus Christ. The love that you have for other people in your life is because God first loved you. That's why he is so bold to tell us to love our enemies. Crazy thought, right? Why? Because God loved his. And that love he has instilled in us. Understand that the hope that you have in heaven is because before the foundation of the world, like before he even made this little thing called earth, God planned and provided for a way for you to get to heaven. We thank God for the faith, Paul says, that we see in you, the love that we see in you, and the hope that we see in you of heaven, because we know indeed that it is God who has put it there. So Paul begins with his eyes focused on God, making much of Jesus and the truth of the gospel, and he says, thank you God for what it is that you've done in Stoffer's life. And by the way, these verses continue. You notice the, the very thing that this gospel truth is doing all over the world. I, I love this about Paul. We'll learn this as time goes on. Uh, Paul failed grammar in, in, in school. Do you know that? Right? Because he's got the run-on sentences and all kinds of crazy. Periods are like the least favorite thing of the Apostle Paul, I just want to tell you. It's the commas and semicolons and all these kinds of things, right? But here's what I love about Paul. Sometimes I can just picture him sitting there writing and he's going, man, God, I just thank you for the, for the faith uh, in the Colossae church. I, I thank you that they believe in Jesus. I, I thank you for how they're loving each other. And, and the reports that I get that their hope is in heaven. And, and then it's like it, it dawns on him. Well, thank God, I thank you that you're like doing that not only in Colossae, but you're doing that all over the stinking world, right? Because I know that. I, I've traveled the, old, the whole known world. I, I, I've seen you do it in Ephesus. I've seen you do it in Corinth. I've, seen, I've even seen you doing it in Rome in this prison cell. And I just, I hear Paul getting all like praise Jesus moment, a little hallelujah moment, right? Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. I, I hear worship happening just as he begins in thinking about giving thanks to the reality of what's happening in Colossae. Do you hear it? He says, because the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. And it's bearing fruit and increasing, just as it's doing among you. Paul's having a big old thank God session. See it. 
Paul begins by thanking God for the gospel in you because it is God who's put it there. But look at what comes next. Second point. It's prayer request time. But listen, it's not prayer request in this text for Aunt Susie's hangnail. Did you realize that? If you're Aunt Susie this morning, you have a hangnail. There's clippers for that, right? Um, That's good. I don't mean to make light of your hangnail issue, but I I want you to see the, the depth of what Paul prays here. It's as if Paul sees all that God has done for the church in Colossae, but is left praying for all that God needs yet to do. It's as if God sees us this morning and, and, and is grateful for all that, that He has done in our lives, but now He begins to pray. He begins to pray for the reality of what He has yet to do. To, to use big old church words, right? Uh, for those of you who like big old church words, it, it, Paul is, is grateful for the justification, right, of the Colossian church, and now he's ready to pray for the sanctification of the Colossian church. I'm grateful, God, for what you've done in this, but let me pray for them because they are massively screwed up. Right? So here it goes. He starts by thanking God for the gospel in the church. Secondly, Paul prays for the gospel to be lived out by the church. And listen to the amazing thing Paul prays for the church, something that we that he does over and over as he writes his letters, quite frankly, worthy of a study of studying the prayers of Paul if you really want to go crazy, there's a book written by uh, D.A. Carson called Praying with Paul. D.A. Carson, Praying with Paul, that is a great resource to make that study. But listen, listen to his intercession for the church. Listen to how Paul prays for their ongoing spiritual growth. He prays that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I, I know I like to go really fast, but help me, Lord, to slow down just here. Look at that. That. Paul prays, first prayer, his intercession for the church, first out of his mouth, that, that, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will <laughs> in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What's Paul saying? I, I think what Paul is saying is that, 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 that he's praying that they might take great joy in discovering more and more all that God has told them in His Word. That everything there is to know about God that they would be hungry for. That by God's grace they they might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We'll get back to it, right? So so that's the first thing. Second is this, that that as they do that, they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Wow. That as they understand God more, that they get filled with the knowledge of His will and all the spiritual wisdom and understanding that that might cause them, that they might take great joy in doing what is right. And then this, bearing fruit in every good work. That love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, kindness, and self-control, I think I got them all. Right? That that would, that that, that, the fruit of those, of the Spirit would be, would be bare, would be like low-hanging fruit off their lives. And ultimately, that fruit of the Spirit would lead to people getting saved, people being blessed, and people making much of Jesus. 
that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruits in every good work. And then it comes back to this, so that they're increasing in the knowledge of God. That in seeing God work, the church will get even more excited about what it is that God has said. It's a circular thought, isn't it? It's kind of like the song that never ends. This is the prayer that never ends. Paul prays for them. Listen, I want you to be filled with understanding of who God is so that you might live well, that you might bear fruit. Why? So that you might know God more. Wait, that's where we started, right? Because you go back to the beginning and you know God more so that you might live better, that you might bear fruit, that you might know God more, that you might know God more, that you might live well, that you might bear fruit, that you might know God more. You get it? For those of you who think you have arrived in the Christian life this morning, I know this is hard. Take a deep breath. You have not. Right? This is the circular thinking. This is the circular prayer of Paul. But get the beauty of it. I I know we're in church this morning, and all of this sounds right. It's like, these are things preachers should be saying. But if you think about this prayer for 30 seconds in your reality, this is a crazy prayer. Because if we're honest, our hearts tend to gravitate to this prayer. Dear God, would you for once listen to me and all that I want so that things in life will go my way, then maybe I'll bless you by doing something for your kingdom and you can thank me later. Amen. Right, right. so all who have laughed have been convicted by the Spirit, right? I mean, it may not be that crass, but it's somewhere along that line. That's not what Paul's praying. It's not what Paul prays for himself, it's not what Paul prays for the church. Can, can we come back through, and I, I want to I come back through uh, those four things again, and, and actually look at Psalm 119, because... There's something in me as I reflect on Psalm 119 that says that Paul is thinking about Psalm 119 when he writes this prayer for the church. I don't know if that's true, but boy, the correlation is so strong. Paul's praying that the Colossae church would be immersed and saturated with the Word of God, which to them at this time is is Old Testament law and prophets along with the verbal testimony of the work of Jesus, that they might like Psalm 119 suggests, that they might love the Word. Here's Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Hear the hunger here, right? God, I want to be filled with understanding and wisdom of your will. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding, there it is, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant and promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread. For your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. That's what Paul is saying. He says, listen, I, I, I want to pray that they be filled with that 
so that they might live right. And loving that word, they might be eager to obey, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because they are sold out on the fact that, listen, real life is held in doing what God says. And therefore, walking in a way worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Again, here's Psalm 119, verses 57 through 60. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words, right? Here's the obedience factor. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I like this phrase, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Uh, The psalmist often is talking about his mind and his heart, and I love here in Psalm 119 in this place, he says, I'm going to turn my feet. That means obedience. It means I'm going this way, turning my feet, right? Going that way. I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. See, Paul prays for them as the psalmist prays that be filled with God that we might live well and that we would experience the promise of God that in our obedience will come fruit. People getting saved, people being blessed, people making much of Jesus. And it says in Psalm 119, verse 74, those who fear you shall see me, says the psalmist, and rejoice. Why? Because I have hoped in your word. And then here comes the circular thought. As we are filled, as we obey, and we bear fruit, as we see lives change, we will become even hungrier for the things of God. And quite frankly, the whole psalm of Psalm 119 speaks to this, but hear this from 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open, this is the psalmist, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. That's what Paul is praying for the Colossae church. Listen, a church that has become increasingly confused by outside voices that have caused them to walk contrary to the ways of God and have compromised who Jesus is. It's a great prayer for the Iranian church as they come out of a Muslim way of thinking into the marvelous light of Jesus. But let me suggest that it would be a great way to pray for your church. And not just covenant church but the church in the Shenango Valley. It's a great way to pray for your family. It's a great way to pray for your friends. And if we really want to get bold this morning, we might even begin to pray this way for ourselves. That God, you would fill us with the fullness of your will, fullness of the understanding and wisdom, that we might walk in it, that we might bear fruit, and in so doing, we might become hungrier to know you more. Notice in this text that that's a piece of cake. Paul says, oh, now that you got that, no problem, right? No, not quite. He says in verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power. When Paul says, I hope you're strengthened with all power, he's, he's going, man, get ready. Put your boots on, right? Put your, put your armor on. Listen, what I'm praying for you is not easy. This is going to be hard. He said, I I pray that you strengthen the church with power that they might have endurance. (laughs) Because they're going to need it. Patience. Whoa, careful praying for that. And and joy. It's going to be rough. It's going to be hard. And it's going to cause us 
to be all the more dependent on God. So, so how do we make it? I, I think Paul tells us here, the third point this morning, not only does he, he, he pray with thanksgiving to God for what the gospel is doing in the church and, and praying intercedingly for them in a way that they would live in the gospel in the church, but he also prays that the church might be grateful for the gospel in them. Here, verses 12 through 14 is instruction this morning. Paul says, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. (laughs) I'm so glad that Paul reminds us here in an amazing way of what the gospel is all about. You hear it? Delivered from darkness into light. Redemption. Jesus literally paying the price for us. Forgiveness. In light of that redemption, we continue to sin, but God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Listen, I don't ever want to suppose that on a Sunday morning there isn't someone sitting in these lovely red pews that doesn't need to hear the gospel. Paul, I think, tags this to the end of his prayer simply because he knows the importance of, of even if we hear the gospel every day for a hundred years, we still on that first day of the hundred and first year still need to hear the gospel. So maybe it's the first time this morning, maybe it's the 15th time this morning, but you need to hear the truth of the gospel in this. And you need to be thankful for this gospel in you. God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness of your sin and He's transferred you to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. If you're burdened by the reality of the guilt of your life, of your sin, this is good news. If you're wondering whether it is that you're going to go to heaven, He says, listen, today He wants to qualify you. He wants to sign the certificate that you will share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If life feels dark, know that He has made a way for you this morning to deliver you from darkness into His brilliant light. This is why Jesus has come, why He laid down His life for us, why He raised again in victory over darkness and death to give us light and life. This is the glorious Gospel. And Paul says, how do you muster through the struggle? How do you have strength, patience, and joy? You remind yourself every day of this gospel. You preach to yourself every day what God has done for you. This is your strength. In this you will find patience. And in this you will find joy. Two threads of application this morning in this text. One is obvious. I've already mentioned it. Pray this way. Right? Look at this prayer. Return to Colossians 1. Underline it. Highlight it. Whatever you do in your Bible. uh, Copy it. Put it on your 
mirror in the morning or on the refrigerator as you eat breakfast. The reality is this is a prayer that we should be praying for one another, that we should be praying for the church, that we should be praying for the church in Shenango, and quite frankly, even praying for the church in Iran. It's a prayer that we should be praying for ourselves as well. So one line of application in hearing this text this morning is is to pray this way. The second one is not so obvious. And it's this, live this way. Live this way. Let me explain. I, I think Paul here, by virtue of how he prays, is giving us instruction on how we might live. But, but I think it's reverse thinking. So here would be my suggestion for you this morning if you're struggling in your spiritual growth. Start here. Start this morning by giving thanks for the gospel in you. Give thanks to God that he has delivered you from the domain of darkness into his radiant light. Thank God this morning. Sit there and just thank God this morning for His redemption, for the forgiveness of your sins. Allow that to wash over you. Be grateful for the Gospel in you. And then prepare yourself. Because God's going to give you opportunity to live a life that is worthy of the calling that He's given you in that Gospel. Give you opportunities to obey and to bear fruit and to see the reality of, of the gospel lived out in you, so that thirdly, you might begin to hear, not for you, but for God, thanksgiving that the gospel is in you. Some of you have had this experience, right? As you've led someone to faith or you've lived out that gospel in front of someone, they, they've come to you and, and maybe even literally said, I thank God for the gospel in you. They might not know how to say it exactly that way, but man, your obedience, your love, your peace, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness of me has shown me Jesus. So yes, pray this way. Pray that it happens, but then let's live this way, starting this morning by virtue of saying, Man, God, I'm just so, I just want to start this morning. I just want to immerse myself in thanksgiving that the gospel, this truth, is in me by your grace. It's an astounding text. It's an astounding prayer. And it's wrapped up so well for us this morning by a song that Debbie Soffer has written uh, that we're going to sing, actually. Uh, Debbie and Deneen did it for us last week. Uh, she wrote it with a dear friend of hers who was in a really hard time. And it says this. It's a prayer. Will you awaken in me all that you'd have me to be for your glory? You want to be really crazy this morning? Pray that. You might be filled with all the fullness of understanding of God. That you might walk in a manner that's worthy, bearing fruit, that you might become hungrier for the gospel that is in you. Awaken in me, God, all you'd have me to be for your glory. Let's pray together.